Hello, this is Ed Markey speaking. Welcome to the Ed Markey Podcast. Okay, so... Let me know. So welcome back. Um, today we have a super special guest uh, on the podcast. Uh, my partner in progressive politics, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. But hers is not just a voice for Massachusetts, but for the whole country. And um, and we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about um, an aspect of the Green New Deal. And that is um, free fares for public transit in Massachusetts, in Boston, and for the whole country. And back in, unbelievably, 2020, our Congresswoman Presley and I introduced the Freedom to Move Act, uh, which said that people, especially poor people, should be able to get on and off the bus and the train for free so they could get to work get to the hospital to do whatever they have to do. Mm -hmm. So um, she is the uh, national leader on this issue, driving it forward. And it's just um, an honor for us to have her with us today. So generous of you to say. I have to say, though, I don't feel like a special guest. You know, we're what I would call movement family. So I feel right at home. And uh, I'm so grateful for you and your leadership and your representation and on all things uh, related to climate justice in particular, um, these are issues that you've been the canary in the coal mine on for a very long time. Um, and uh, it's just a testament uh, to the uh, power of your, I don't know, your your resilience, <laughs> your stamina, um, that uh, that now this movement has grown, and we have a a north star, but it's one that is not so aspirational that it's unattainable. It has everything to do with um, political will and the moment in time we find ourselves in. And I'm grateful uh, to you and and Representative Ocasio Cortez uh, for introducing the Green New Deal, uh, which is now um, just a a daily part of our policy approach and budgetary investments um, in actualizing climate justice. It wasn't always this way, you know? So anyway, I'm grateful And by the way, today is the fifth birthday of the Green New Deal. I think and, I did hear that. And uh, Where's the cake? You are so right. <laughs> you are so right. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to the Green New Deal. <laughs> yeah, so... G-A-D, G-A-D. <laughs> So yeah. we're so we're celebrating it, and you're right. To a certain extent, I am a canary who kept going into the mine yes. shaft, but I'm still politically alive because the coal industry does not like me. <laughs> all the oil, all the gas industry. So yes, so we're yeah. continuing. I know, to... I know that should not have been the analogy that I used. <laughs> so we're, we're uh, still yeah. we're still and we're winning. See, yes, the Green that's New Deal right. movement that's right. is winning. That's right. And um, and so and and much of what the Green New Deal is about. Is um, is environmental justice? It's about ensuring that we uh, rectify, remediate all of those historical injustices that uh, have been inflicted upon mm. communities of color, poor people mm. all across our country, and uh, and part of it 
is the need for people to have access to public transit. That's right. To get to where um, they have to they have to go and not use a huge percentage of their discretionary income to accomplish that transportation goal. So can you talk about sure. that a little well, bit? Well, I mean, that's why I'm so grateful for your partnership. Um, you know, I say often that policy is my, is my love language. Um, and that's because, you know, every harm, uh, every injustice, um, every inequity is one that was codified in, in a law um, or in a budget or created uh, because of a divestment of resources. And so, you know, we are sort of living in the residual aftermath of legislated um, harm. And I think it is possible to legislate justice, to legislate equity, to legislate healing. And I'm deeply invested in that because the Massachusetts 7th is one of the most unequal districts in our country, um, arguably the most unequal in our delegation in a three-mile radius from Cambridge to Roxbury. For sure. Life expectancy drops by 30 years and median household income by $50,000. And I believe that those disparate health outcomes and um, that racial wealth gap is exacerbated by transit injustice and a lack of access to affordable, rapid, reliable transportation that is um, connecting people to housing, to jobs, to education. And so I'm grateful um, for uh, your participation in my love language of policy and that we introduced this Freedom to Move Act. And it's one of my favorite bill names. Um, it, it sounds, you know, poetic, um, but it also sounds just um, so obvious, right? I mean, everyone deserves the freedom to move. We can do the work of building a more uh, livable a city, commonwealth, and country, but if people can't navigate it, um, you know, it doesn't matter. And so we introduced the Freedom to Move Act, which uh, really uses the power of the purse to incentivize municipalities um, to prioritize fare-free transit because we believe that public transit is a public good. So it's a $25 billion grant program that would um, offset fare revenues. And um, whoever would participate um, would need to prioritize uh, that funding towards closing transit equity gaps and have an emphasis on low income and historically underserved and marginalized communities. So that is the freedom to move. And I'll just end here and say that um, earlier this week, we celebrated uh, Rosa Parks' birthday. Mm. And so often Rosa Parks is defined uh, only as a civil rights activist. But when she took her seat, that was actually the activism of a transit justice activist that on a bus. So, um, you know, I do believe that this fight is, is very interconnected to um, the broader fight of, of civil rights and the progressive movement because transit justice, I think it's a, it's a human right. It's how we meet our housing justice goals, our sustainability and climate goals. It's how we um, address racial injustice. So Rosa Parks mm. did not want to take her seat in the back of the bus. That's right. And if we take this story of buses 
um, thank you for raising it. <laughs> Let's just fast forward it to today where you and I and Senator Warren worked very hard to get the federal funding so that Michelle Wu would have dozens of electric buses. You took the words would, right out of my would, mouth. That would be yes. usable in yes. Boston. Can you talk it, about that? No, I want you to. Tell me why it is essential that we make all public transit fare free and building on the success of our incredible uh, Boston mayor. Well, it, 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 in the COVID crisis, we, we, learned, um, we learned a big lesson, hmm. which was that the, in the communities of color, Chelsea, where you represent, or Lawrence, um, the inner cities, had disproportionately higher rates of asthma, uh, lung disease. Hmm. And then COVID arrives, a lung disease. And so who suffered the That's worst? Right. It was those communities that already had pre-existing conditions related to environmental exposure, uh, right. which had been preventable but ignored as a public health crisis mm -hmm. in our country. And so uh, we learned that lesson, and, um, and there's a way of rectifying it, and that's to move to renewable energy resources that's and right. all electric buses. That's right. And so to the extent to which Maya Wu asked us to help her to get the funding, those buses are going to be deployed largely uh, in the communities that had historically been adversely impacted That's right. by environmental conditions. So it's something I'm very proud of, and we have to expand it until every one of those diesel buses is replaced mm -hmm. with a renewable, non-greenhouse gas, gas non-polluting uh, bus is deployed in the city. I, you know, um, when you bring up the context of COVID, uh, so many things happened in the midst of that pandemic. Um, federally, things that people have said for decades we could never do and would never happen. Um, and so I'm glad that we've learned the lesson. And uh, given the uh, transformative impact of those piloted fare-free transit programs, uh, in places like Lawrence and Boston, um, and again, you know, this is what's true of the progressive movement, is that when we first start championing these issues, people try to fringe or marginalize them, but we just keep going, we just keep organizing, we just keep mobilizing. Um, and, you know, I think the reason why progressive ideas like Fair Free Transit are so popular is because they are solutions that go as far and as deep as the hurt and the inequities. And the fact that we were able at an, an acute time of this country of great distress to pilot um, this and now uh, today to see those programs um, preserved and expanded is going to um, make quite a difference in people's everyday lives in terms of their ability to uh, get to school, to get to work, to get to child care, um, to get to health care appointments. So when I talk about that 30-year disparity in health outcomes and life expectancy from Cambridge to Roxbury, um, the fact that people can uh, get to medical appointments, mm -hmm. you know, more quickly, get to their job. I mean, people deserve rapid, reliable transportation. So these investments are really are really critical. Yeah, and some people think, well, it's a choice. We need the money. We can't afford to help people uh, to uh, jump <laughs> on and off buses or trains. We should get their money. Uh, and that will affect reliability. 
but it really isn't a choice. Um, and um, and what we've learned from Maya Wu's experiment with free transit, what we've learned up in Lawrence mm -hmm. in Merrimack Valley is that there's a 30% increase, increase in people using rapid transit That's right. and buses if it's free. Right. And that helps increases. the economy, yes. it helps mobility, helps health care. Uh, and so it's actually something that should not be viewed as a choice. It reduces uh, emissions, it uh, reduces uh, traffic congestion, and um, also... Uh, when, when we increase ridership on buses, uh, people uh, who usually drive are able to save about $10,000 a year. So um, that's a pretty decent return on investment that we're making strides in sustainability and saving the planet and also um, uh, closing our racial wealth gap and addressing disparate health outcomes. Uh, it is just uh, a solution that's proven and that makes sense. And so yeah. I'm excited that now so many people are piloting uh, fare-free transit initiatives, not only throughout the Commonwealth, but throughout the country. Can you talk about that? Uh, <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> so, so I guess what I would just say about that is, you know, I, I think we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to be pace setters uh, for the nation. And so I, I love that um, people are replicating uh, this proven best practices model. But most of all, I love the impact that it is having on people's lives. You know, I'm just of the opinion that I don't uh, want people to know what we're doing or Democrats, what we're doing based on a press release. I want them to know because um, we are advancing a change that they can feel, mm -hmm. um, you know, change that is transformative. And uh, that's what Fair Free Transit is doing. Yep. And that is what uh, ultimately when we do pass the Freedom to Move Act, um, you know, that is what it will do because people will have the freedom to move. You know, back in 1966, when South Central LA exploded uh, and there were riots, and then they went in and did an analysis afterwards. What happened? And one mm -hmm. of the things that they concluded was that you have this whole community over here, and you have all these jobs that are over here mm -hmm. in another part of LA, but these people can't, can't get, get to, them. to those jobs, and it causes frustration. Mm -hmm. It, yeah. Anger, you well, know, knowing that if the transit system worked for them, they'd be more than willing to get into the economy, but they're over here and isolated. That's right. And that was the biggest conclusion from the study that was done after those riots in 1966. And that's really what this whole free fair program is about, yeah. just to make sure people can get to where they have to go. Yeah, it should seem so basic and, and, ele and elementary, you know, truly. Um, I was uh, on Rosa Parks' birthday, which also was Transit Equity Day. Um, we did a, a briefing, and um, actually uh, one of my constituents, um, uh, Stacy from Livable Streets, came. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they just said that when if you uh, call the fire department or the, or the police, you're not paying a, a fee for them to come, right? It's a... Uh, they're first responders, and uh, it's a public good. Mm -hmm. And so the same should be true for public transit. It is a public good. It is really just that simple. And um, so the freedom to move, um, very possible, and something we're going to continue to work on until 
until it is law. I wonder if you could speak to um, some of the myths about fare-free transit, because there are some detractors and naysayers, even though we have all the data um, that proves that um, it is it is an effective uh, yeah, and, and policy. I, well, yeah. I, I, I made a little bit of a reference to it, but pretty much the critics depend upon the argument of affordability for everyone just being something that can't be accomplished mm. because we just can't allow these people to ride without paying because it'll affect the reliability of the whole system. Mm -hmm. And we need that money, too. Mm -hmm. And I think what our argument is that the whole system actually depends upon everyone being able to get to work, everyone being able That's to right. get to the hospital, everyone being able to uh, do everything else in their That's life. Right. And we benefit from that yes. as well. Residual and that has benefit. to be built into the reliability of the whole economy and that everyone is participating. And and count that as part of the benefits that you get from having fare-free mm -hmm. programs that are put in place. And when we had our press conference in... Mattapan, Mattapan, Mattapan back in during COVID it, at the height of yes COVID, at the height of COVID in 2020, um, actually the head of the Mattapan um, uh, Community Health Center came out. Oh, that's true. To just tell us mm -hmm. that for him it's a big problem when people can't afford to come to get, to get their, to their checkups to get to their appointments. Yeah, huh? and that's going to affect the economy if you multiply that by thousands of people all across the city that aren't participating. So I just think that it's time for us to just accept the fact that this vision of fare-free transit is our future. Mm -hmm. And that uh, we, have to pay, we have to invest in it, but we'll get far more back That's as right. a society. I mean, a $25, uh, $25 billion uh, grant program under the Freedom to Move Act to incentivize uh, more cities to do fare-free transit with an emphasis on transit equity and communities historically uh, underserved, you know, and low income. Uh, that's uh, a little investment for what is a, a lifetime of, of return. So, and, you know, also as we as we think about post-COVID, not defaulting to an unjust status quo. Historically, uh, federally, when we talk about investments in transportation, it has not only created inequities, it's exacerbated them. Mm -hmm. uh, they've just defined that sort of transit infrastructure as just uh, highways and roads and, and bridges, but not that kind of multimodal infrastructure that we know is so... Um, is so necessary. Uh, in fact, I, I joined two of my congressional colleagues and we uh, launched this Future of Transportation Caucus as a way to advocate for federal investment mm -hmm. to really center equity, accessibility, connectivity, and sustainability. And, you know, I really do see that caucus is something that is standing on the shoulders of the Green New Deal, that it is possible, and, and we're seeing those greater investments federally in public transit. In fact, we saw that in the uh, in the infrastructure bill. And I do think that is in large part because of the conversation and the movement that the Green New Deal has created. So happy fifth birthday, g no, it, it, It's happy birthday, <laughs> Green New Deal. And, yes. and I, by the way, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. No Green New Deal. No movement mm -hmm. that creates the momentum, mm -hmm. that creates the moments when in the infrastructure bill, in the IRA, that somehow or other, all <laughs> of a sudden, maybe we should put in more money for yes. environmental uh, justice programs. 40% of all the money. 
in the IRA goes to environmental justice. Maybe in the infrastructure bill, we should mm -hmm. put in more dough, you know, to help on a lot of those environmental injustice issues. Mm -hmm. And without the Green New Deal, we would just be repeating history over right. and over and over again. That's right. You know, and it's now a politically potent uh, movement led by young people uh, who are just insistent and persistent yes. that they have their voices heard. And, uh, and that's, I think, worth celebrating on the 50th anniversary. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I do think when it was first introduced, it was sort of this this North Star that felt uh, so so aspirational, something to work towards. But but was it would it really be attainable? And so it's exciting to see states and cities throughout the country. I mean, Mayor Wu even has a, a Green New Deal czar, um, and she's not the only mayor to have that. And so that, that really is, is a testament to the strength of this movement. Um, yeah, I love that you keep bringing up environmental justice so much and, um, you know, again, certainly representing communities like Chelsea and East Boston and Roxbury. Uh, these are communities that are vulnerable to, as you said, high asthma and cancer rate because of those diesel emissions, proximity to Chinatown, mm -hmm. proximity to highways, um, vulnerable to extreme heat and sea level rise. And so those investments are so critical. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, and again, we're making progress. Last year, for the first time, globally, more money was invested in solar than oil. So we're winning. Wow, that's and an incredible And it's happening yeah. globally, and it's happening in the United States. Uh, and it'll take another 10 years or so, but young people are not going to allow us uh, to lose this battle. They're, they're the ones who are that's the right. leaders. And yeah. so I thank you for joining us. <laughs> and... But we wrap up here by p yeah. playing a little game that uh, I like to call Big Oil or Movie Villain. Big Oil or Movie Villain. And I'll read a quote. Okay. And you tell me I whether mean, you think the person. I have testing anxiety. I, I'm already feeling a little. <laughs> I feel. Okay. I feel we have an A plus about to come our way. Let's um, see how this goes. Is this a big oil executive? Okay. Or a movie villain who said these words? So. Um, Ready? You know, the winds are such that it would be difficult to characterize them all. You know, the winds are such that it would be difficult to categorize them all. Big oil, executive, movie villain. Big oil executive. Big oil executive. Yes. That's correct. That's Dan Easley. Yeah. Of Although Exxon, he sounds like a villain. Of Exxon Mobil. <laughs> uh, now, you know, it's no. difficult to characterize yes, anything yes, Big yes, Oil yes, does, yes, except yes. that which is yeah. evil. But uh, it's bad yeah. for uh, the planet. It's good for their pockets. Okay, one more. Okay, one more. Um, I find your lack of faith disturbing. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Big oil executive? I love your delivery, Ed. I, I yeah. love it. I, Big you, oil? You always fully commit. That is a... <laughs> that's, a, that's, a that's a movie villain. Movie villain. Darth Vader. Two for two. Let's um, go. AP is in the building. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. go. So your 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 um your, your faith in uh, in um and again you you're right. There's a kind of a dual identity. Yes. That, yes. You know, absolutely. That, you know, yes. Darth Vader, oil executive, and the final one. We are not selling a product which is evil. 
We are not selling a product which is evil. Big oil executive or movie villain. We are not selling a product. I think you're trying evil. to trick me, so I'm going to say movie villain. It sounded big oil, but I think you might be trying to do a little dupe. Oh, my God. You know... You know is it? Is it a movie? It's... Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron. Oh, man. Yeah. And wah, it, wah. it sounds very evil, wah, but wah. you were overthinking. <laughs> Total over, overthink. I was overthinking. Yeah. Aquarians do that. Okay. No, you had the right All answer. Right, let's go. Let's and then go. You, well, that's it. I, I hate to that's say it. it. That's you everything? were so close to perfection oh, until man. you were making a decision based upon the inflection of my voice, okay? When you had the right answer. Your instinct What if correct. I had gotten three for three? Would I have gotten some G&D <laughs> merch or something? You the, guys got to get some... some Actually, the green confetti comes down. (laughs) uh, But on this today, fifth birthday of the Green New Deal, Yes. thank you for everything you do. It's wonderful to be with you, and we're just going to keep working. We're going to keep working. Keep working. (laughs) See you all next next week. Uh, Thanks for joining us.